We are learning to share our faith with others. Boy, has this been an exciting series. We started it back in September, October, and when we began this series, I got up here and said, who honestly is great at sharing their faith? Who honestly loves sharing their faith? Who feels like they're ready to share their faith? Uh, I feel like there was this collective anxiety about the idea of talking to others about Jesus. Since then, we have been through the topics of origin, how do I discuss creation with others, meaning, how do I talk to other people about the meaning of life, uh, morality, what if issues of right and wrong come up, what do I say to other people, now we are on to destiny. How do we talk to people about the end, where this life is going, what happens a moment after you die? How do I talk to other people about heaven and hell uh, if they disagree with me? How do I talk to other people about heaven and hell if they think they're going one place, but they're actually going to another place? We have to learn how to talk about the end. Maybe it will be at the bedside of an older relative who's dying. Maybe it will be in the funeral of someone whose life was cut short. Maybe, it, who knows? Maybe it will be as someone reminisces about a loved one they lost even long ago. But you have to be able to talk about death, the afterlife, and what comes next with others if you're going to share your faith with those around you. If you're going to do it accurately, you have to understand the nature of the world in which we live. I was thinking back this week to how in 2012, the world remembered the 100th anniversary of the Titanic, when 1,500 lives were cut short. No one thought that that would be their day, but it was. The Titanic was the largest steamer in the world at that time. 2,000 passengers bought their tickets for the cruise of a lifetime. Luxury is an understatement for the first-class passengers. In today's dollars, the rich would have paid over $50,000 per ticket to get on board this cruise. Millionaires and celebrities were aboard. John Jacob Astor IV, worth close to in today's dollars, $3 billion today. Uh, Isidore Strauss, founder of Macy's, and also actor Leonardo DiCaprio. All went down tragically. A survivor told reporters that she asked the deckhand if the Titanic was truly unsinkable. And the deckhand replied, God himself couldn't sink this ship. It's a true story. Titanic symbolized humanity's cocky overconfidence and self-reliance in the early 1900s. They thought they were invincible. Why else would White Star Line only install lifeboats for half the people on board? Titanic received six messages that they were approaching an ice field. All the warnings went ignored. Another ship, the Californian, was stopped just 10 miles up ahead, surrounded by icebergs. They had come to a complete halt to wait until morning to pass uh, through the field. Their radio operator contacted Jack Phillips, who was the operator on duty for the Titanic, as he was feverishly trying to catch up on sending messages out, which would be the equivalent today of catching up on emails. And this radio operator from the California actually had to interrupt the transmission of the Titanic operator, and Phillips on the Titanic got irritated at the interruption and said, shut up, shut up, I'm busy. He ignored the warning. The Californian operator switched off his radio and went to sleep. Forty minutes later, three warning bells rang out from the perch, but it was too late. The collision happened at 11.40 p.m., and the unsinkable ship fought the ocean for three hours and then failed, taking 1,500 passengers down with her. It was a disaster. It was a fatal voyage. It was doomed by pride. 
If I had to describe the Christian view of the end of this world, I would say the Titanic is about spot on. This world is doomed. The Bible says this world and its desires are passing away. There is not a happy ending for the story of this world as is. Humanity hit an iceberg in Eden. and We have been sinking ever since. What do Christians believe about the end? We believe this world is doomed. You were born onto a sinking ship. But there's great news. Greater news than the greatest news you have ever received. Jesus came to save us. If you don't understand the peril, you won't get our message. And if we don't share the peril, people won't appreciate our message. It's our job to warn this world of disaster whether they listen or not, and it's our job to save as many as we can because the lifeboat is leaving very soon. Let's pray, and then we'll learn how to talk to others about the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have not left us guessing. You have not left us confused. You have not left us wondering how this world will end or what comes next. We have faith. We know exactly what comes next. We pray that you would give us skill and courage to talk to others about the afterlife. Help us, Lord, to reach out and to have effective conversations with others so that they would get off of the boat and they would step into eternity with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is our prayer in your name. Amen. Okay, the first thing I want you to write down in your bulletin, if you're going to talk to other people about the end, you really have to practice saying a word that we don't say very often. So, so when you get a chance to talk, Maybe this isn't the first thing you say, but you have to get around to saying this. Write this down in your bulletin. You know what? Jesus came to save me from hell. Anytime you say that in a spiritual conversation, things are going well. You know what? Jesus came to save me from hell. Hell is a controversial topic. When you bring it up, people don't want to talk about it. They have a problem with it. Often people will say, I can't believe in a God who would send people to hell. How many of you have heard that before? How many of you have heard someone say, you know what, I can't even believe in a God who would send people to hell. Are you ready for that when it comes up in a conversation? See, because the person who says that wants that to be the end of it. No more talking. Are you ready? What do I say when someone's, I can't believe in a God who would send people to hell. Uh, the best thing you can do when the topic of hell comes up is own it. It completely disarms the other person. You know what? You know what? Listen. Hell is my fault. Hell is my fault. I'm part of the problem with this world. I'm not standing on the outside as a spectator watching how God manages this world and judging him. Hell is my fault. When you own it, it diffuses the whole topic. Because now this other person has to decide if hell is their fault too. And it is. Why do people have a problem with hell? There's two underlying issues that humanity has with hell. The first one is this. God isn't fair. He's not just. A just and fair God wouldn't sentence people to hell. But here's the truth. Write this down. God is just. We are not. God is just. We are not. It's false to believe that God will do anything unfair on judgment day. He won't do a single unfair, he won't look down and be like, you know what, you were just extra irritating, so your judgment is going to be a little off, because I can't stand you. 
And you over here, you know what? You are a rascal, but I kind of like you. So I'm going to give you a few extra points. It will never happen. There will not be any, you will not need to live with a, with a sense that you just witnessed an injustice. In, as if you're like, she went to hell and I can't say anything. You won't feel that way for an instant in heaven. For eternity, your soul will rest in the knowledge that God is just. You will know that justice forever is being done. God is just. We are not. Why does hell exist? Hell exists because we reject God's law. Hell exists because we reject God's commandments. We are outlaws. We are bent on making it so that in this world, my will be done. And if we expect to stand before a holy God on judgment day and say, I'll only come in there if my will be done, it ain't going to happen. He's not going to let heaven be your personal dictatorship. That's not what heaven's for. Heaven is where his will is done perfectly forever. And for people to foolishly think that they will stand before God with a rebellious heart, demanding that they get into heaven, though they will not honor God's law, it's a delusion. And the fact that they would blame God for being the problem of not accepting that arrangement is even greater delusion. God's not the problem. The person is the problem. 1 Timothy 2.4 shares the heart of God. We'll put that up on the screen. It says this, God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. God's desire and heart is that all would be saved. He's not going to do unfair things or unjust things. The problem lies in the heart of the person who rejects the law of God. Hell is for people who reject the law of God. This objection is actually self-defeating. It creates its own catastrophe. I won't follow a God who sends people to hell. Do you know what that's like saying? That's like saying you're sitting on a plane and God gets on the plane and says, get off the plane, the plane's going to crash. And then you say, I won't follow a God who lets planes crash. Right, so get off the plane, and if everyone would get off the plane, there would be no plane crash. I won't follow a God who lets planes crash. Do you see how this is self-fulfilling? I won't follow a God who lets people into hell. If you don't follow a God, that's why you go to hell. They're stuck in their own rebellion. Somehow it makes sense to them, but it doesn't make sense to us. The objection creates its own catastrophe. God says, get off the plane. People say, no. Judgment will be comprehensive. It will be based on an accurate record of every thought, word, deed, every inaction, which is something you were supposed to do but didn't. It will be comprehensive. Perfect records will be kept better than the IRS. It will be fair. You can search the court records for eternity and you won't find a shred of injustice. How long do you think it would take you to find something wrong down at Cook County? Not long. Not long at all. You'll find no such thing in heaven. There will be, according to our worldview, there will be justice forever. That's what the unbeliever has a problem with. They're not, they're not appealing for a better more just alternative. What do they want? 
I won't follow a God who sends people to hell. What do they want? They want injustice. They want God to let sinful people into heaven with no guarantee that they're going to stop sinning ever. They want injustice. They want the person to get off scot-free. They're craving injustice forever, and they're not going to get it because our God is just. They should be longing for something much better. They should be longing for a world that will be emptied of sin and death forever. And to stand face to face with God and demand that he turn into an unjust God who allows sin, it's ridiculous. God came to save me from hell. Well, I won't follow a God who sends people to hell. That's the problem. God is just, we are not. The second underlying objection to hell, the first is that God is going to do something unfair, which won't happen. The second is that God's going to do something unloving. He's unloving. How can a loving God send people to hell? Write this down. God is loving, we are not. The Bible says God is. The Bible says God is. When you or anyone you know stands before God, there will be no lack of love on his side of the table. None. No deficit. He displayed his eternal love for humanity with the greatest act of love anyone can ever do. He sent his son into the world and watched him get butchered for you. So a person who stands in front of God with no love for his son, no love for his law, no love for him, and says God's the love problem in this setup is not seeing things clearly. The deficit of love falls entirely on the person. There will be no lack of love in God's heart. 100% of the love problem will fall on the person. They have no love for God's son. Hell exists because we reject God's law. Hell exists because we reject God's love. That's why there's a place called hell, because there are people who for eternity will demand a relationship with God based on lawlessness and lovelessness. That can't happen in heaven. That can't happen in heaven. God is not putting them in a lose-lose situation. They are putting God in this situation. God is loving. We are not. Here we are, bent on breaking his heart. Ignoring him, assailing him, blaming him, doubting him. We are ungrateful. I think this is why C.S. Lewis once said this. The doors of hell are locked on the inside. The doors of hell are locked on the inside. They don't want God's love. They want all of the blessings without bothering to love God. How much more can God do than send his son into the world? We divorce ourselves from him forever because we reject his love. So there will not be a justice problem. There will not be a love problem. God will prove eternally (coughs) just and fully loving. Your soul will be satisfied with what happens on that day. It's always good to personalize it. You know what? I understand you've got a problem with hell. Jesus came to save me from hell. And you know what? God is just. I am not. God is loving. I am not. My hope is in him. That's what we say. That's the Christian view. Now, not everybody agrees with your view. So what do we say when people are like, oh, well, that's what you believe, but here's what I believe. How do we talk to them 
when they believe something very different. Well, write this down. Number two, <clears throat> you have to be prepared to dispel false hopes. You can write that down. You have to be prepared to dispel false hopes. Um, 99 point, I think the last time I read the survey, it was like 99.5% of people think they're going to heaven. When you're talking to someone who's going to hell, they will most likely think they're going to heaven. You have to find their false hope, and then you have to gently push it over and break it. Find it. <clears throat> find. Why do you think you're going to heaven? Find it, and then break it. Because that's what loving people do when others are holding on to false hopes. Most people think they're going to heaven, but there will be a great disappointment when they pass on through this life. How many of you saw the uh, story this week of that woman who thought she won the Powerball? Did you see that? Did you see it? What was Powerball at this week? How much was it? Was it $1.5 billion? Wow. $1.5 billion. She's at work and her son sends her a picture of the ticket. We won! She checked the numbers. We won! She told her whole work. We won! The son played a prank. I would totally do that. That was amazing. <laughs> I was like, bravo, bravo. But here's a picture. Do we show it? Yeah, here's a picture. The, the woman at work, all of her coworkers are like, yeah! They were so happy, and they were so wrong. I won. No, you didn't. <clears throat> That's kind of how it's going to feel for people who go on to the next life thinking it's heaven, and then What? 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 They really think that they're going to heaven, but they're not. They're tricked. They're deceived. Uh, being, being ignorant of the truth is not a neutral stance. Please don't feel like, oh, well, if only they knew, then they would... No. Ignorance in the human heart is not neutral. They don't know because they don't want to know. Most people who think they're going to heaven have heard the truth in some way, shape, or form, and they have turned away from it. They have chosen something that's false. Their ignorance is not neutral, all right? This is even true with people around the world. Sometimes people are like, well, what about people who've never heard the gospel? Well, what makes you think they want to hear the gospel? Have you heard of sometimes what happens when the gospel arrives on new shores and what they do to these missionaries? Ignorance is not neutral. Ignorance is opposed to the nature of God. God has to break through ignorance to bring the truth at just the right time. Humans will be guilty for ignorance on the day of judgment. It's not like they're going to say, but I never knew. They didn't want to know. We have to dispel false hopes. Here's one false hope that you have to be ready for. Jot this down. Uh, some people will say this. Yeah, I think there's nothing after this life. These would be the humanists. This would be the atheists, the agnostics. You know what? I just think there's nothing after this life. How many of you know people at your work or in your family? This is their thing. They think there's nothing after they die. Lights out. All right. How do you talk to these people? I, I believe in heaven. I believe in you. Nope, I don't believe. It's all fairy tale. Lights out. What do I say to those people? Remember, heaven is for people who are rejecting God's love. So you remind them of God's love. Acts 14, 17 says this. Put it up on the screen. Uh, this, is, this is the Apostle Paul. He's sharing his faith with others. And he says this. Uh, he did not leave himself without witness, for God did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. God has given you everything you've enjoyed in this life. 
and you are so ungrateful. You did not look up and say, where did all of this come from? You have therefore been, uh, you have been unloving in response to God's love. What do I say to a person who thinks there's nothing after this life? You could say something like this, wow, if there is a God who made the whole universe, gave you every breath, caused the sun to rise every day you've been alive, programmed the earth to produce your every meal, wouldn't you agree that if he's real, you have rejected his love? Wouldn't you agree if he's real, you have been so ungrateful? Face them with the reality that if they're wrong, they have been unloving towards God. He has given them so much, and they have done nothing in response. How would you feel if your kids suddenly gave you no credit for raising them? How would it make you feel if you found out that your child began telling other people they were raised by wolves in the wild? Parents? I had no parents. Would you feel insulted? Would you sit them down and say, listen, you little rascal, I'll show you pictures of the bed that I bought you and the Christmas gifts that run. No, no, I don't, I don't give you any credit for anything you have ever given me. The ingratitude is painful. And the ingratitude of the atheist is painful to God and it will be unforgivable. Remind them that hell is for people who reject God's love. Also, hell is for people who reject God's law. They have rejected the internal witness of their conscience and the government around them and society in general. They have decided that they're going to come up with their own morals from their imagination. Because if everything came from nothing, then their morals come from nothing. They can't say everything came from nothing, but their morals come from something. It doesn't make sense. Their morality is made up. It comes from their own imagination. They have no rational basis to say anything is right or wrong. If everything is just blind chance... They are therefore promoting themselves as the sole arbiter of right and wrong in their own life. Therefore, they're rejecting God's law. What do I say to them? Hey, would you agree that if there is a God and he's moral and he's the one who built morality into your heart, you have totally rejected his law and made up your own? Force them to see that God has made them morally aware and they are rejecting what he has planted in them. They have to leave this world without any hope. By faith, they believe that there's nothing waiting for them in the next life. Can't be proven. It's by faith. <clears throat> Therefore, their hope is in this life alone, physical existence, which is why Stephen Hawking, at the end of this great conference where he was this brilliant mind, he unpacks uh, issues of science and humanity, uh, and then he turns and he talks about what hope there is for humanity. And here's what he says. We'll put it on the screen. If we can keep from destroying each other for the next 100 years, sufficient technology will have been developed to distribute humanity into various planets. And then, no one tragedy or atrocity will eradicate us all at the same time. That's the only hope humanity has of thriving. That's it. We'll find ways to live apart from each other so that we don't all die. That's all I have for you. A good question to ask someone who believes the whole universe came from nothing is this. How do you live for anything if there's nothing in the end? How do you live for anything if there's nothing in the end? They can't. 
they have no rational basis for purpose. There's no reason for them to do anything of merit. It's a very sad and untrue faith that they have. You have to dispel false hopes. Ravi Zechariah said this, Atheism leaves us looking to the barren desert of emptiness and hopelessness, which ends in the darkness of the grave. We think they're wrong. Their hope also includes injustice forever. No one will ever be held accountable for anything they did. That's convenient for them. But they'll get a rude awakening when a giant book bears their name and records every deed from their life. They have rejected God's law. When they look upon the one whom they have pierced and they see the son who died and had the ability to pay off their debt, they'll realize that they rejected God's love and they will be justly condemned. Here's the next one, the next false hope. Jot this down. I'm a pretty good person. Are you going to heaven? Well, yeah. You don't really go to church. It doesn't look like you're a Christian. I'm a pretty good person. How many of you know people who this is their life? This is what they are hoping for. This is what they will say the moment they step over. I was talking to a family member once, and I was like, do you think you're going to heaven? I've lived life the way I think it should be lived. What do you say to that? Because these are usually religious people, somewhat. They don't, you know, they don't go about pillaging the community. So it's not like you can necessarily grasp onto things that show them, look at how sinful you are. How do I respond to people like this? Well, understand that these people, in what they say, are rejecting God's law. Hell is for people who reject God's law. What they're saying is this, I'll keep part of God's law and we'll call it a day. I'm a pretty good person. I'll keep part of God's law and call it a day. The parts that I like. Isn't that going to fly? That's not how justice works. You don't get to decide what parts of God's law you keep or when you keep them and when you don't. That's not how justice works. That's relying on your own merit, and that's not good enough for God. Now, these people are also rejecting God's love. If they are are trying to be a pretty good person, they reject the truth of the cross, which says you cannot atone for your own sins. Someone must die in your place. Eh, eh, I'm good enough. It's a rejection of God's love. It's a rejection of God's law. And hell is for people who reject God's love and God's law. It's really self-righteousness. They think God's going to grade on the curve or something. And, you know, compared to the other relatives that I know, I'm good enough. There's no such thing as good enough. People are not as good as they seem on the outside. Do you know that Judgment Day, uh, on Judgment Day, the Bible says all of your secrets will be revealed? All of your secrets will be revealed. Do you have things in your life that most people don't know about? Do you have things that you have done that if you were to get up here and share them, most people in your life would think differently about you? Are there people in your life you know they have done things that most people don't know about? Maybe to you. Secrets will be revealed on Judgment Day. And this whole, my Facebook status makes me look like I'm a decent citizen, so God will accept me into heaven, that's going away. God will plunge to the depths of your heart, and it will all be laid bare. What will you say then? What will you say when you can't hold back what has been hidden for so long? Did you hear about the Ashley Madison scandal? Ashley Madison was a website, horrible website, that was set up 
their motto was, life is short, have an affair. Life is short, have an affair. 32 names, million names, 32 million names of potentially unfaithful people were released by hackers who who (laughs) hated the website and told them, shut down or we will release everyone's information, credit card information, email information, everybody who uses this website, we will leak it publicly. The website didn't shut down, so the hackers released the names of 32 million people who were on this website. Here's a picture of one prominent uh, person. Do you know who that is? That's Josh Duggar of the Duggar family, 19 kids and counting, uh, living a double life, living a double life. And he had not just one, but two Ashley Madison accounts where he paid $1,000 or more for these accounts, uh, hiding it, hiding it, hiding it, going to church, talking about purity and faithfulness, He was an executive director at the Family Research Council representing Christians across the country, hiding it, secrets, no one will know, now everyone knows. It's humiliated. And he got caught, which is even more despicable. The Bible says that judgment will begin in the house of the Lord, which means God will chase out the secrets of those in his church who are hiding their sin. How horrible will it be on the day that God chases out the secrets of everyone in the world? And then what hope do they have? They can't even run to the cross for it. When people say, I'm a pretty good person, they are lying. Not by God's standards, they're not. Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only one is good. Meaning, if you call yourself a good person, you're calling yourself God. And that's not true. Romans 2.16 says, On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men. By who? By Christ Jesus. In Luke 15, 7, it says this, Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That phrase is like righteous persons. That's like so-called think they are. 99 righteous people who think they didn't even need to repent. There's no rejoicing in heaven over you. There's sorrow in heaven over you. But the one person who figures it out and says, have mercy on me, I am a sinful man, there's rejoicing in heaven because that person just figured it out. If you're relying on your own goodness, if you're relying on how well you do according to your scale, you're going to hell because you have rejected the law of God and you have rejected the love of God. What else can God do? People who try and be good apart from God, they'll be misguided in their best efforts. All right, so what false hopes are we dispelling? There's nothing after this life. Uh, The next one is, I'm a pretty good person. All right, jot this down. What about people who say this? Well, I believe in purgatory. People will get a second chance after death. How many of you know people who are banking on a second chance after this life of some sort? Raise your hand up if you know people like that. Purgatory, all right? Does the Bible tell us that we will get a second chance after this life? No. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. There is no second chance. There is nothing on the other side of eternity but judgment, just judgment that's waiting. Where did purgatory come from? Well, in 593 A.D., Pope Gregory made the idea of purgatory popular, but the Catholics would actually trace it back to the book of 2 Maccabees, which is uh, in between the Old and the New Testament. 
Uh, but what we would say is this. Uh, even those verses that they use don't teach it in the form that they teach it. Uh, the Bible disagrees with the doctrine of purgatory. You can't say you believe the Bible and you believe purgatory because purgatory contradicts the truth of Christ, that it's only by the grace of Jesus Christ that our sins can be washed away. Human effort doesn't work in this life. How can it work in the next life? It can't. Um, in Acts 13, 46, Paul and Barnabas talked to some of the uh, leaders of their day, people who should know better, who were familiar with the Old Testament writings. Here's what they said. They said, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. But since you thrust it aside, and get this, judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Those who should know this book better, those who are familiar with this book and who teach other doctrines are thrusting it aside and they will be condemned because there's no such thing as a second chance in the next life. That won't end well for them. Here's the bottom line. We're trying to tell people, listen, your plan won't end well for you, but they don't see it yet because it makes sense to them. I have a few pictures here of people who are trying a plan that's not a very good plan, all right? To us, you'll see right away that it doesn't look like a good plan, but it wasn't so obvious to them. Check it out. This is a bad plan. It's not going to end well for them. Here's the next one. This is a really bad plan. That's not going to end well. Here's the last one. This is not a good plan. Now, when you talk to other people, it doesn't matter how confident they sound or how angry they get. You're talking to the guy on the top of that ladder. And you're, you're like, yeah, okay, that makes sense to you. But um, in love, I just got to tell you that you're in for a giant fall. And it's the loving thing to do to talk to these people about their false hopes because false hopes will never get anyone into heaven. God won't understand. Okay. So, number one, tell people, hey, Jesus came to save me from hell. God is just, we are not. God is loving, we are not. Number two, then you be, better be ready to dispel false hopes, whether it's there's nothing after this life, I'm a pretty good person, I believe in purgatory, whatever it is. Number three, jot this down. Ask people this question. It's a great question to ask anybody. Do you know you're going to heaven? It's a great question. Do you, do you know if you're going to heaven? Listen very carefully to what they say. And if their plan is anything other than Jesus, their plan won't work. So if you're listening and you're like, wow, they sound so genuine and so sincere, just tell yourself, if their plan is anything other than Jesus, their plan's not going to work, so I have to share with them the plan of Christ. Ask people, do you know if you're going to heaven? You know, we've been training people, average ordinary people like you and me, to talk to others about faith in Christ. We've been doing that since the beginning, okay? And my hope is that as you've grown as you have uh, been encouraged to share your faith with others, that you have taken some risks, even if it's gone badly. We've got a short video here of a few people from our church who have recently taken risks to share their faith with others, and I want you to see that you can do this. So go ahead, let's show that video. I uh, am a garbage man, and I'm working in River Forest one day, and I talked to this kid named Candido. I told him that he could have eternal life, and that his family could have eternal life. So instead of being reincarnated, he could live forever in eternity. Right now I am working on this young man and trying to inspire him and plant seeds. Um, I asked him if I could pray for him. He said yes. Okay, so I was at work and um, the co-workers were talking about God's judgment 
And um, one of the coworkers said that she'd rather be judged now than when um, God comes back. And we had just watched the video regarding judgment. And I just said that um, we're all going to be judged. It's just a matter of, do you know Jesus Christ? And she was, one of the coworkers was really silent. Uh, the next day she came in and said, thank you. She's like, I needed to hear that. And she had uh, called someone else regarding questions regarding her Christianity. I just wanted to share with you, I lost my father last week and we were at the um, wake, the funeral actually, and my brother asked me to speak. And I, you know, told everyone that we make mistakes. My father made mistakes. You know, the question is coming around a lot lately that we all serve the same God. In John 14, 6, he said, I came, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And no other God has claimed that. And we need to do that. We need to tell others as Christians, get out and spread the gospel because people are dying and we don't want them to go to hell. And I had the assurance of my father going to heaven because of a friend of mine went and witnessed to him. He didn't want to hear it from me, but I didn't give up on praying. And um, she said he cried and he came to know the Lord. So I have to trust in that. And I know I'll get to see him again one day where if we believe in uh, just a God, we don't have that assurance. And um, that's what we need to share with everyone. We want our friends and family to come to know the Lord and be saved through him. He came down from the cross. We serve a living God. And that was awesome that I could do that um, at my dad's funeral. Great. That's so encouraging. Um, maybe you don't know everything to say. You don't have all the words and you're scared to death when the moment comes. But if you make yourself available to the Lord, he will use you, you, to share your faith with others. But you have to be willing to take risks when the moment arises. What do I basically talk about? Well, jot this down. In essence, you're going to share the love of Christ and the truth of Christ. Talk about either one and you're on the right road. Talk about the love of God, the love of Christ at the cross. Talk about the truth of Christ, the law of God, because hell is for people who reject the love and the truth of Christ, and heaven is for people who embrace the love and the truth of Christ. Um, in 1 John 4, 17, we'll put it up on the screen, it says this, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also are we in this world. We're his voice. We're the ones who are responsible for showing his love and sharing his truth with others around us. Listen, let me, just, let me just appeal to you from the heart. Throughout this series, I've been so convicted because I haven't been thinking, uh, I haven't been thinking about my lost relatives enough. I haven't been praying for those in my life, living without the hope of the gospel enough. And many times, including this week, as I'm preparing for this sermon, I would just, by the Spirit, just stop and pray for people, and, and the tears would begin to fall. And, and I would realize that often what holds me back from praying is that I just feel like it's never going to happen. Am I right? Like I've prayed for them before, I've tried to talk to them before, and I know how it would go if I tried to talk with them again now. And I reason, my, my own, I reason myself into silence. And I feel convicted because I know the love of God is strong. And I know that if he can get me, if he can get people in my life after, after many years, who am I to give up hope? I just want to exhort you, don't lose hope in God's power to save your loved ones. Pray for your children. Pray for your children. Pray for your spouse. 
Pray for your friends with faith. Doesn't matter if you see nothing. Doesn't matter. Of course you're looking at black dirt. That's what evangelism is. You're putting seeds in the ground and everything that's eternal is going on in the invisible realm. It's by faith that you even share it. Pray with urgency. Pray with passion. Pray like you see them in hell. Right now. Pray like you see them in heaven. That will add urgency to your prayer. That will add patience and faith and passion to your prayer. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Wow. That convicts me. We have to live in front of those around us without Christ. We have to live in a way that shows them what they're missing. 2 Peter 3, 11 to 13 says this, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Listen, no other faith gives that hope. No one is safe in any other boat. This world is going down, and you have the message that can save people. Malcolm Muggeridge said this, As Christians, we know that in this world we have no continuing city, that crowns roll in the dust, and that every earthly kingdom must sometime flounder. We acknowledge a king men did not crown and cannot dethrone, and we are citizens of a city of God they did not build and cannot destroy. We tell as many people as we can about that hope. God wants us to go and make disciples. My prayer is that your heart would be broken open wide for those who are living without the cross, that you would take risks, that you would have courage, even if a conversation doesn't go well, to plant the seeds of the gospel and then to pray and to watch God do what only he can do, save sinners. Let's pray right now.